Hey fellow true crime lovers, my name is Patrick and I am the host of Not Adding Up. Not Adding Up is a podcast that features cases, as the name implies, don't add it up. This can be disappearances, strange deaths, wrongful convictions, unsolved crimes, and other unexplained phenomena. Each week I walk a friend or family member through a case in which they are unfamiliar. I do this to allow them to ask questions I may not have thought of while researching, or that you may have as you listen. The cases I cover range from ones that are well-known to some you may not have heard before. Since the cases I cover don't add up, I always encourage my listeners to form their own theories on what they believe happened, and never present my opinion as fact. Frequently my co-host has a very different theory than my own, which proves the cases I cover are ones that just don't make sense and need to be discussed further. So if you are a true crime lover and find yourself constantly forming your own theories when listening to podcasts, Not Adding Up is perfect for you. Tune in each Friday for new episodes, available on all major streaming platforms. Crime Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals, so please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7. It is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. Hey guys, it's Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker, And today we are going to introduce you to a particularly upsetting area of unsolved crimes. The cases in which law enforcement were made aware of and launched into investigation as soon as they began and were notified that something was wrong. Forensic teams gathered evidence immediately no errors were made in the labeling or filing of said evidence. Family and friends were interviewed right from the get-go. All the usual suspects were rounded up and ruled in or out via deduction. But what makes these cases stand out is is that the suspect or suspects, as in today's case, They get their day in court, sometimes more than once. But like today's case, they walk away unscathed, not because of lack of evidence or lack of motive or some crazy notion that they were being railroaded. It's all because of 12 people. The 12 people chosen, and let's not forget their alternates, to determine the guilt or innocence of those on trial. Now, in almost every case, you see juries will do a commendable job 
separating their personal feelings from these cases. However, you would think sometimes personal feelings can swing to the victims in their favor. But in Kansas, sometimes I like to say that juries go amok. They forget why they're there, that they are there for the victims. They are there for the case. And instead, they get swept up in, let's say, the their own personal stakes, in the politics, in the religion behind, and their own financial gains that happen in the Kansas community. In these cases, the district attorney's office provides a case in which they can highlight time, means, and forensic evidence that the suspect committed the crime. And that should be a slam dunk, right? Take, for instance, the Fager family murders. On December 31st in 1987, in Wichita, Kansas, Mary Fager comes home and finds her husband, Philip Fager, had been shot. Her daughters, Sherry and Kelly, were drowned in the family's hot tub. Their contractor, Bill Butterworth, had taken the family's vehicle. Authorities later locate Bill Butterworth in Florida. He had the Fager family's car, and he's claiming he has amnesia and could not remember the last few days. He doesn't remember why he changed his clothes or lost his wedding ring and disposed of all physical evidence. He can't remember anything. To this day, that is still his answer. He was acquitted by the jury, with the jury foreman later saying that he believed Bill Butterworth was possessed by Satan. He even wrote a pamphlet about it. Detective Landwehr, who was one of the leads on the BTK case up until his death, said that this case haunted him and he couldn't stand the smell of chlorine because he felt like he had let Mary Fager down in this case. The jury, by the Wichita Eagle standards, the jury let the Fager family down. And this is a case that haunts many of us who live in Wichita still today. Now, today's case doesn't have that quite same amount of drama unless you live in that area of town and it still haunts a lot of people there. Now, there was plenty of evidence, literal human matter, cellular matter of the victim found on the suspect's porch. There are guns missing from the suspect's home, wild cellular phone calls. There is so much evidence that it is beyond me that it led to two, count them, two hung juries. Why? Because the suspect and their families pretty much own most of the small town. They own the banks. They own most of the attorneys. They own most of the farmland. 
that the town relies on because it's a farming town. How can we not look at this and not call it corruption? Now, I think these types of cases, they have to be painful for most of the family because families are supposed to have some sort of closure. Now, I know you can't have closure when you lose a loved one. Unfortunately, on this case, they still call it because they haven't been able to find a body. And not being able to find a body, that's pretty much a big loophole in this case. And maybe if we and they are able to find the body of Michael Golub, maybe then this case will have some closure. And that today is the case of still missing Michael Golub. On May 20th, 2005, 27-year-old Michael Golub was on his way to pick up his five-year-old son, Mikey, from Shannon and her husband, Chad Floyd's rural Stanton County home. It was Golub's weekend for a visit with his son. He had shared custody with Shannon. Now, Shannon is a former girlfriend with whom he had a really tumultuous relationship. They'd split up when Mikey was only about two years old. Now, Mike had told his employer that he would be right back. Now, those are words, if you're a horror movie fan, you never say. And unfortunately, those are words Mike said, and he never returned. Now, the town that Mike lived in at this point, it's located in the far southwest corner of Kansas. It's only about 18 miles from the Colorado border. Johnson City looks almost the same way it did when Michael Golub went missing. Of course, there's Chad Floyd's twin brother's law office sitting on the corner of Main Street. There's the First National Bank where Chad Floyd's cousin is president. And next door to that is the farm office where more of Floyd's relatives own that. So it's pretty much a Floyd monopoly, as we had stated. And unfortunately, Michael Golub, he was a transplant to the area from California, which is why he had the nickname California Mike. His mom had moved there after meeting a new man and she had moved to the area in 1994. Now, Mike, people thought he was kind of a smart ass, but once they got to know him, they realized he had a heart of gold. And Mike, he had quickly fallen for Shannon because she was another transplant, but she was a transplant from Montana. But Shannon, she even stated that she had caviar taste and Mike, he had a hot dog budget. And she would say this in front of their friends. So, like I said, very tumultuous relationship. But one of the reasons I think I was really drawn to this case is Mike had ended up splitting from Shannon, like I said, when Mikey was about two years old. And Shannon moved on to Chad Floyd, the it guy of town, the rich boy. But Mike, at a very young age, 
he's 24 years old and he has a heart attack and finds out he has a genetic defect. And that genetic defect almost kills him. And I related to that. And that genetic defect, it, when he realizes he has that and realizes he has a second chance on life, it literally changes everything about him. He has a child, another child with his new girlfriend, Brooke, in 2004, and he ends up just changing everything about his life. His boss calls him just the most amazing hard worker. He is devoting everything to Mikey and his new son, Cameron. And everything is going awesome in his life except for Shannon and Chad. Chad is fighting with Mike all the time because as far as Chad is concerned, he is married to Shannon as he thinks Mike should just sign over the rights to his child and just move the crap out of their lives. Shannon had married, she wasn't out of Mike's life and they were fighting all the time over Mikey. And again, Chad's involved and Mike wanted more time with the son, but Shannon and Chad weren't willing to share and it was a constant bickering. I mean, of course it's a measuring contest and we know how that goes when exes are constantly fighting and of course there's no love lost between the two of them and one of the really interesting things is is that they ended up and as we usually suggest is when there are these type of relationships find a neutral ground in order to do drop-offs at which they did. They went to the Ameripride and that's where they did their neutral drops offs at. And it's a convenience store and they would, Shannon said, never at the house. She said, Mike, specifically, you need to have a car seat in your car and then always at the Ameripride convenience store. Never come to the house. He only came to the house one time and that was at a birthday party. And that was the only time he was ever able to come to the home in order to pick up Mikey. But for some reason, on May 20th, 2005, he gets a call from Shannon and she says, I need you to come to the house to pick up Mikey. So at around 6 p.m., Mike borrows a truck from his boss and goes over to Shannon and Chad's home to pick up Mikey. Now, a high school football coach reports seeing Mike at 6.20 p.m., in Johnson at the corner of Lake and Logan, which is about nine miles from Shannon's house. And it is the last time anybody is known to have seen Mike Golub ever again. Now, Shannon tells police Mike never showed up to pick Mikey up from her house. And when reliable Mike doesn't show back up and bring the truck back, his boss, who is a helicopter pilot as well, he gets up in the helicopter and starts looking for the truck. He cannot find anything. Family goes out, post flyers up everywhere. This is not like Mike. This is immediately something's wrong. Especially with the bad blood between these families. Now, five days after Mike's disappearance, the truck is spotted in a remote field. Now, there's no real evidence around the truck but still, they're going, there's something not right here. 
And then all of a sudden, they hear that Chad and Shannon are moving to Colorado. They're looking at property. They're getting the heck out of Dodge. So, radar is going up between everybody. Well, then they talk to the realtor and... All of a sudden, they're hearing from also a child custody worker that, well, no, Shannon and Chad have been talking about moving to Colorado for a while. Well, the police say, whoa, 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 whoa. This kind of sounds like motive. If you're wanting to get the heck out of Dodge and Mike isn't letting you go, because if you wanted to get out of town and he's not going to let you go, that just sounds like another reason to get Mike out of here. Also on top of that, two weeks before Mike's disappearance, Chad had cashed in $50,000 in family stock. Investigators would soon conclude the money was all part of Floyd's plan to make it look like they bribed Mike Golub to leave town. Chad's cousin, who runs the local bank, as we talked about earlier, told him specifically that Chad told him just that. The money was a payoff so Mike would disappear and give up custody of Mikey. But even Mike's mom was like, no way in hell would he have ever sold his son for any type of money. And KBI determines just that. No way, because the money gets deposited back into another out-of-town account that Chad Floyd had. So not only did he take the money out, Chad Floyd had set up another account out of town and put his money back into his own account. Now, six weeks after Mike vanished, KBI investigators searched Chad and Shannon's house, already having discovered that Shannon had repainted the front deck just days after Mike disappeared. The investigators dismantled the deck and on the unpainted underside of the boards, they hit pay dirt, small amounts of blood and traces of Mike Golub's DNA. And when I say DNA, it's not just blood. There is actual tissue that is part of that. And on top of it, they find out that they replaced their window because there had been a hole in it. And as well, to just add icing onto this cupcake, there was also an untraceable rifle that Chad Floyd had purchased from his cousin. So we've got a hole in a window that they replaced. Mike Golub's DNA on the underside of a deck that they just painted a few days after he went missing. And an untraceable rifle that Chad Floyd just purchased from his cousin. So one of the investigators had told 48 Hours that they pretty much have the timeline of I think somebody was inside the house with a gun. Mike comes to the front door, rings the doorbell to pick up his child, and he gets shot. That's pretty much what the evidence appears to them, and then they need to get rid of the body. Now, they have not been allowed to see Mikey, and investigators didn't investigate nor talk to Mikey. Now, the family hasn't been allowed to see Mikey. Excuse me, let me back up. Family was not allowed to see Mikey after that, which was a very difficult part for Mike's mom and the rest of the family. But investigators on top of that didn't talk to Mikey. And one of the things is it's very difficult to question a child, especially a child at five years old. 
especially when you don't have proof that the child was home at all. That can be a very traumatic thing. So that has been a point of contingency between investigators and Mike's family. Now, again, they don't have a body. If they had a body, they would be able to see if there is any cross-contamination from the Floyd home and Mike Golub's body where they could prove conclusively that that's where Mike Golub was at the time. But without a body, it is quite difficult. Now, even without the body, KBI investigators did form the theory. Chad shot Mike. However, they're saying not with the untraceable rifle he bought from his cousin, because Chad did turn that over, but with a Glock. They know Chad owned a Glock, but that gun, that was one of the guns that didn't make it into the authorities with everything Chad turned over. This Glock disappears. Chad just responds with, I, I don't know what happened to it. It disappeared. It's gone. It's just gone. So that got the investigators radar up of where the hell is this Glock and why are you suddenly not able to turn this in? So the investigators theory is that Chad shot Mike Golub with a Glock through the window. Now, adding to the suspicion of the Floyds is also their cell phone record. There is a cluster of calls that supports the idea that Shannon took the kids off the property while Chad committed the murder. And at least that makes her a semi-good mother that she didn't want her children on the property while her husband was committing a murder. So between 6.38 p.m. and 6.57 p.m., there are 10 phone calls between Chad, excuse me, between Chad and Shannon. And they think that's when the murder takes place. It's about an 18-minute period of time, and that's when there are several haphazard phone calls. And it's out of the norm of their typical conversations or phone pattern. And that's something investigators look for. Is this a normal phone pattern for them? And it's not. And of course, defense attorneys say, oh, well, who's going to do that in the middle of a murder? I will tell you, lots of people. Lots of people do that. They begin to become scattered. They begin, okay, what do we need to do? How do we need to do this? Okay, let me check in with you now and let me let you know what I'm doing. Okay, I'm doing this now to clean up. Okay, I need you to go do this. Trust me, it's high anxiety and it happens more than you would know. Now, the next question is, is they're saying, okay, well, what would they have done with the body? And again, there are several theories that perhaps they buried it in the fields under a cover of darkness. But if they did that, wouldn't they have found the body by now? And I agree, I think they would have, because one of the things that Chad had discussed in the past was dumping it in an abandoned well. And that is actually something that was discussed in one of my papers a while back, is when there was a body in a well, it's, we call it the evidence with the lack of evidence. And that is when flies are found in every other area except for one area. And it is actually a case we had um, done, and it's one of the papers in um, 
we can actually post it on our YouTube if you guys are interested and I can put it in a oral episode if you guys are interested, but it is a case where somebody had put a body down in a well and then put mattresses on top of it and actually soaked it in several things to deter um, blowflies from being able to come towards it. Well, then what happens is you're going to have bugs, you're going to have different type of animals and different types of things coming around a certain area. So as we were doing an investigation or as we were doing training, we saw that there was a lack of flies and there were a lack of bugs all congregating around one area and were questioning why they were avoiding one certain area and that made us quizzical and once we determined further they were being repelled due to that and under further investigation we found that they were being repelled due to the fact of the things they put in place to repel so the lack of evidence actually created evidence in the situation i know i'm kind of being weird about it but we can examine that further if any of our listeners are interested please send me a message and reply to this and we will post it it is just a bit longer so it's kind of weird to get into but so going into this the prosecutors are convinced that they know what happened and a year after mike golub disappears shannon and chad are arrested but it only takes three weeks for Chad's father to bail them out. Bond for each of them was $1 million apiece. And yeah, he did that, no problem, and hired two of the top defense attorneys in the state. And I'm not going to go into who these two top defense attorneys are, but let me tell you, I'm not a fan of who they were. And these defense attorneys their biggest role in it was is they kept they basically did what defense attorneys do and they put the victim on trial and they mike golub made some mistakes in his life which we all do there is none of us i and if you as i've discussed in a previous podcast if you can go through your life and you can look at your life and say, hey, I have never made one single mistake, then wow, please let me know how you did it. Because I look back at my life and I have made tons of mistakes and tons of things I need to apologize throughout my life for. But at the end of the day, I always strive to become a better person. And Mike Golub, he made his mistakes, but he, at the end of the day, was doing his best to become a better version of himself. And he was doing everything he could to become a better boyfriend and a better father and a better man. But they brought in just a bunch of stuff from his past and just did everything they could to try to tarnish his image. And then they even went as far to try to say he was on a beach in Mexico drinking margaritas and throwing the finger to everyone involved and that, yeah, he, he got a payoff from all of them 
from the Floyds and, you know, did everything to throw in reasonable doubt. But to me, it's, and then they even tried to say the matter on the porch is, you know, Mike uh, could have sneezed on the front porch. And let me tell you, I, I find this so laughable. I don't know how they found this to be reasonable doubt. I, I just don't get it. The DNA, the fact that Mike Golub goes missing, and a few days later, they are painting their deck. There is DNA found underneath the deck. There is a hole in the glass. There's all of this, all of this evidence. And Mike still is missing. And the fact that they still are unwilling to convict them twice, two times, it is a hung jury is just absolutely beyond me. I mean, they brought his health into it. I mean, and tried to say, well, maybe he had a, a massive heart attack somewhere and he just died or he overdosed somewhere else and he's off doing drugs and overdosed somewhere. I mean, it was just, I felt so much for his mother and his mother never got to see justice. She's never got to see Mike. Um, she has since passed away and her husband that she remarried to, he believed it was, you know, she ended up at least peacefully dying in her sleep, but she never got to see her grandson. She never got to see her son again. And the Floyds are still free. They moved on. They moved to Burlington, Colorado. Chad Floyd got his trucking license and went off to be a trucker and is rarely home. Shannon, like I said, is living in Burlington, Colorado, and California Mike, California Mike Golub still has not been found. And, you know, hoping that someday by finding his body, we'll at least find some additional evidence that maybe prosecutors will file additional charges. Because at this point, they're saying that the charges are dropped and they won't file new evidence or new charges unless some new evidence surf surfaces. And Deb, when she passed away, she had just given up. And she had just given up without ever seeing her grandson, without ever seeing her son again. And this story just absolutely broke my heart. Mikey didn't even get to attend his grandmother's funeral, but he was listed among the survivors in her obituary. Now, there are still some people in Johnson City that do believe Michael is still out there. Um, now, Evelyn Floyd Winnegar, um, the matriarch of the Floyd clan, she's a very strong influence in the town. And she says that her family was raised right and not to be a murderer. There's always hope in finding Mike and possibly that Mike is alive. But it's really hard for the family to believe that Mike would just leave his family and never contact anybody ever again. Michael Eugene Golub's case is still classified as endangered missing. Again, he has been missing since May 20th, 2005. His location was last seen in Stanton County, Kansas. His date of birth, August 23rd, 
1977. When he went missing, he was 27 years old. He's a white male, six foot two at the time he went missing, 165 to 180 pounds, brown hair color, brown eyes. He has a tattoo on his right shoulder of Sonic the Hedgehog with the words Milkman written underneath. The clothing at the time he was wearing were some grease-stained t-shirts, jeans, and work boots because he had been working at the time and he had been wearing a pair of sunglasses. On the Doe Network, circumstances of disappearance are listed as Michael was last seen on May 20th, 2005. He left work and was supposed to pick up his son at the home of his ex-girlfriend. Michael's ex-girlfriend and her husband wanted to move to Montana, it was actually Colorado, and take his son with them. Michael obtained an order that they could not take the child. Michael's blood was found on the porch boards of his ex-girlfriend's home and evidence found that she had purchased, and it was actually the husband, had purchased a gun on the day Michael went missing. His ex-girlfriend and her boyfriend, it was actually her husband, were both tried for murder twice, both times with a hung jury. The prosecutor did not file for a third trial and the judge dismissed the charges, waiting for additional evidence. Michael's body as yet has never been found. The agency listed is if you have any additional information, you can contact the Kansas Bureau of Investigation and the special agent in charge is Corey Latham. The phone number is 620-792-4353. Or you can contact the Stanton County Sheriff's Office Sheriff Cody Morris, 620-492-6866. One of the problems I've had when you research these cases is how much misinformation is on these different websites. The Charlie Project, the Doe Network, they have the dates wrong, the years wrong, when they went missing, we, I try to go on there and I try to contact the agencies and correct the information whenever I get these cases to try to make sure that we do have the correct information. But you can always go to Uncovered.com. Uncovered.com always tries to vet and make sure all of the information is correct and they try to work with law enforcement to make sure all of the information is vetted and correct. So please, if you are a podcaster, make sure you are double checking. Just because it is the Charlie Project or the Doe Network does not mean the information is concise or correct. And it is frustrating for someone like me when I do see the wrong information out there especially on a missing person case. It is so important to have the correct information, especially for the loved ones. I know for a fact loved ones Google their loved one's name on these unsolved cases. 
they want to be able to see them and remember them this way. And when the information is incorrect, it it is extremely hurtful. So if you see misinformation out there, try to contact the sites, try to help complete it, try to help update them in the best way you can and make sure you send them the correct information. Thank you guys so much again for listening. We're going to try to get caught up on everything we've been behind on. I wanna apologize again. As you guys know, I do struggle off and on again with my health. I've had a few rough times here recently and I'm trying to get caught back up. I'm hoping we're gonna get back into the groove of things again. Check out our Instagram. We have a new puppers that has been um, brought in on the block here in the neighborhood. And so I've been trying to get some pics and um, we're gonna try to have some videos and stuff of little Archie. Archie is part German Shepherd and part Golden Retriever and 100% adorable. I am loving this new little addition on the block here recently. And of course, he's getting tons of treats from over on this side of the crazy dog lady. So thank you guys so much for listening. And we're hoping that hopefully here soon, Michael's body will be found and we can get justice for Michael and his family. We're so sad that his mother wasn't able to see this case play out. But hopefully it will play out in the future and they can still get justice for Michael Gullip. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for further unsolved cases. Thanks. And again, if you have any recommendations on cases or if you have a case you're wanting to see us talk about or you're wanting to get more information on, please feel free to send to us. Sorry, I'm a little scattered here. Um, also, on the case I was talking about earlier, if it's something you're interested to hear further on, please shoot us a message and I'll be more than happy. But I don't ever want to dull you guys with the dry science part of it. I know I'm absolutely in love with that part of it, but don't ever want to bore my listeners with something like that because I know I can sometimes go off on a science tangent. So let me know if it's something you would be interested in listening to. Again, any questions, comments, or want further information, feel free to shoot me a message. Thanks a lot for listening and stay safe.